0: How's it
1: going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Ben Rubior to the Philacrossophy Podcast. Ben is the Associate Admissions Director at Thayer Academy and the lacrosse coach and also the new coach of the PLL Atlas. Ben was a two-time first-team All-American and national champion at Virginia, has had an unbelievable career as a player and a coach, and um, is off to some really new cool things. Uh, ben, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on.
2: Thanks for having me, Jamie.
1: So. What's going on up there in uh in Massachusetts and in the, the ISL right now in the in the wake of this coronavirus?
2: Yeah, so you know, obviously interesting times. I mean, you know, I'm I'm currently at school right now. So if you hear some background noise, I know I know classes are changing over, but uh but you know, we're we're at a really cool point in that, you know, I I joined the ISL last year. I think it's a fantastic league. We're going to playoffs for the first time. This was our first scheduled year. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, we're talking here on March 12th, and uh, you know, we got the corona coronavirus thing kind of hanging over us. So, you know, kind of where we're at is we did just um, decide that we were going to cancel um, all of our all of our spring break trip. So we won't be going on a spring break trip. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we're kind of we're we're up in the air as to kind of what the season's going to look like. Yeah,
1: it's um. It's so sad for all these kids that have had their college seasons cut, you know it's just so heartbreaking, isn't it?
2: yeah, I, I mean, you know the the season the season and the games were always kind of the payoff for all the work you put in kind of going into it, so yeah I feel really bad for these kids, I mean especially the older guys i think I think the younger guys will will figure it out they'll be just fine but but these seniors are guys that uh, that have really worked for it, and I know i got I only have two seniors on my team right now here at there but You know, these are these are guys that I think have really helped us turn this ship in a good direction, and uh, and you know I I hope we can get some of this in. So who knows? Maybe uh, maybe it's suspended, but uh, I I certainly hope we can can at least get a little little part of the season.
1: Yeah, and you know, like you said earlier, we can only control what we can control. So let's try to be healthy and do the right things. But at the same time, if we can play lacrosse, and maybe it just gives us a little bit more appreciation for every day we can be out there too.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's how I've always, you know, I've, I've had players get injured over the years and I certainly dealt with my fair share. I think, you know, when things get taken away from you, I think that uh, I think that you have a greater appreciation for it. So, you know, you, you, you try and look for the positives, but like we had talked about, it's uh, it's, it's, I I preach every day, control what you can control. And this is a great time for me to kind of live it and, you know, hopefully be an example for some of these guys. As they, uh, as they go through it. So we got practice scheduled for uh, 345 today. So I'm planning on going ahead and, uh, yeah. you know, just uh, one day at a time right now.
1: For sure. Uh, one last question. Um, do you have a contingency plan for what you will try to do in the, in, in the case that you're just told, hey, you know, you can't, you can't have practices, but you know, the kids are going to want to go out and play. Um, any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I, I mean a couple things. I, I mean, I got a, I got a really, I got a really great staff. So my staff has kind of started putting together a little catalog of of drills and skills that they want the guys to learn on. I mean, I think you know we're using Zoom right now. The whole school is going to be on Zoom. So I think you know if we have an opportunity, we'll probably do some whiteboarding sessions. I mean, we're in our first week right now, so we haven't necessarily implemented everything. Um, you know, I think, I think our plan is to basically give them a workout routine, give them a wall ball routine, do some X's and O's and try and try and get that in. But, you know, I, I think my hope is to ride some of the, the excitement that the first week kind of generates and, uh, and get these guys working on their own. And at the end of the day, I mean, you know, I certainly think that, I certainly think that we accomplish a lot in practice together, but so many of these things, I think if you, if you really want it, if you really got the fire in your belly for it, you can get a lot done on your own.
0: I'm John Canaris, founder of Oxia Time, a watch company specializing in university-branded watches. Before I fell in love with watches, I fell in love with lacrosse. Maybe you've heard of the Airgate? Well, that was me and gold that day. We may not have won the national championship, but we did win the Ivy League that year and two years before. The first time, we got a ring that we never wore. The second time, we got a watch that, while it had great sentimental value... The quality didn't match the significance of our achievements or the memories we created. Ever since then, I've looked for a watch with the design and quality that would live up to my experiences at Penn. After 30 years of looking and not finding what I wanted, I decided to build it myself. At Axia Time, we create Swiss-made automatic watches with stylish designs and quality befitting the universities we represent. Premium watches without the premium price. Check us out at axiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com.
1: So um, you went to Loyola, Blakefield. You were a Kelly Award winner, uh, which is like the uh, Torton of the Maryland lacrosse. It's always been a uh, a huge award. Um, But you also, and I I heard this only a couple years after it happened, but I remember that you were in a really bad car accident that actually threatened your whole career. Do you mind sharing that with us?
2: Yeah, I I mean, so you know, kind of, kind of at Loyola. I mean, you know, my my dad, like you, went to Brown. He was a he was a uh, he was an attackman. He was an all Ivy League player. He was a guy that really got me into it. And uh, you know, I was I was kind of I was thinking back a little bit of, uh, about my journey, a little bit um, before I came on, and you know, went to the 90, 1992 final four with my father, and I remember just falling in love with it. I mean, Princeton Syracuse playing on AstroTurf up and down the field, some just fantastic lacrosse. And, uh, and so, you know, kind of had a a love for it at a young age, uh, got to play for my father growing up. Um, and he was a, he went to Loyola. So he went to Loyola high school. Um, I followed him in his, in his path. And, you know, absolutely loved it there. Had a, I mean, had some awesome coaches. I played for John Tucker, my first two years, my freshman and sophomore year. Yep. we won the championship my freshman year and uh you know, had a little taste of success, and was like, "Man, this winning thing is really, really cool. I want more of this, like whatever it takes to win um so played played the next three seasons, committed to Virginia after my junior season, and then later that summer, um you know just uh just was was probably enjoying myself too much, and you know ended up going on the road driving too fast, flipped my car, broke my arm pretty badly, ended up getting uh, sent on the helicopter down to shock trauma. Um, wow. And, uh, you know, just uh, had had three surgeries over about eight months. And they kind of, they kicked around a couple things like, hey, this, you might never play. There's a chance this arm would have to be amputated because it got infected. And, um, you know, back yeah. to what we were kind of talking about, it was like, it gave me you know, I, I felt like up until that point, I kind of had accomplished everything I could have ever imagined accomplishing. And I was like, I was pretty happy with myself. But I think that it not only humbled me, but it, uh, it gave me just a it it gave me a reminder of like, man, each day on the field is a gift. And I actually do really love this sport. And, um, and so coming off that it was just uh I tried to take it one day at a time and I tried to play like each day was my last. And, um, and, and, you know, really tried to just, um, you know, suck the marrow out of playing the game and really enjoyed it from there on out.
1: Yeah, for sure. Our paths crossed when Denver played Virginia a couple of times. I remember we had a makeup game or something in Oh five and uh, we put a short stick on you. And I think you scored like three or four goals on us. So that was a, uh, it seemed like a good plan at the time, um, but then 06, you guys had, you know, we played you again, and um, at Virginia, one of the first games of the season, and uh, it was actually a great game. You guys, I think, won like 13 to 6 or something like that, and pretty much handled us, but we might have given you one of the better games of the year, because your team just absolutely throttled people that year, but that was your to be able to win a high school MIA championship and then win a national championship and have such an, a great career. Talk to us a little about your experience at Virginia.
2: Yeah, had had an, had an awesome experience down at Virginia. I mean, you know, one, got to play for Dom Starja. I think he's just – I think he's one of the best people in the game. He's one of those guys where you want to play hard for him. And when in my freshman year we had a great run up with – 12 seconds left to play in the semifinals against an undefeated Hopkins team. Um, They ended up coming down and scoring and then won in overtime. And I think, you know, the, the pain of that loss, I think kind of drove us into 2006 and there was just a, there was a a mentality of we will do whatever it takes to, to be successful, to not have that feeling again. And uh, you know, Dom, Dom was one of the best I thought at, at like, at getting us to be disciplined in our effort, meaning like work each day, but giving us the freedom to really play loose. And, uh, and that was a, that was a group that just kind of put the team before themselves. And I know offensively, I thought, I thought, you know, you can argue whether we were one of the better teams of all time. And, you know, I'm not really interested in that. I do think we were one of the better ball movement teams of all time though. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the ball just snapped around and we shared it. And, uh, nobody really cared who was at the end of that thing. And, uh, you know, it was a it was a heck of a team. I mean, when when you're talking about a team that had the defenseman of the year, midi of the year and an and attackman of the year, it's uh it was pretty darn cool. And uh, and we went on a good run. But, yeah, I, I remember that game a little bit. I think it was I think it was closer than the final score.
1: Yeah, it, it kind of was. But it was like, again, it was it was a cold day on the turf.
2: Remember that? Yep, On the Astro turf.
1: Yeah. And that was when we were uh, going for our full pressure and we were just going, Oh, you know, we had this kid going over Matt Ward's head and you're just like sliding to his face. And everybody was like, are you kidding me? You're going over his head on the goal line. <laughs> but, uh, but you guys have uh, proved proved way too much, but what you're right, Matt Kelly, right? He was the defenseman of the year that year.
2: Uh, it was Mike Culver. So oh, Matt, Kelly Culver. Was a- Matt Kelly
1: was like a sophomore on that team, right?
2: Yep. So Mike Culver was the defenseman of the year. Um, <laughs> Kyle Dixon was the middie of the year and Matt Ward was the attackman of the year. And, uh, you know, I'd argue that Kip Turner should have been the goalie of the year, but, uh, he didn't necessarily see too many shots. So, uh, (laughs) but it was, uh,
1: who was on the attack with you then it was you, Matt Ward. And who was the other right?
2: So it was myself, Matt Ward. And then Danny Gladding was the one that started, Uh but then our fourth attackman was Garrett Billings.
1: Garrett Billings.
2: So, uh, So, you know, we would, we would rotate a little bit, but, um, it was uh, it was a, it was a really cool group to play with, and and some some great styles. And I mean, and then you add in you add in Drew, okay. Drew Thompson, who was just one of these two way do it all middies, would face off for us. And then Pasque, who had you know the best hands in college lacrosse that year, and he was running out of the midfield at that time, and uh, you know just put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah,
1: that was an unbelievable um, group, and you're right, so unselfish with the way you guys played. It was just pretty awesome. Um, Awesome. So then you went on to, um, you went on after you graduated, you went on to play pro lacrosse, got drafted by the Lizards. But I kind of remember you more as a Bayhawk with the championships you won. And was Coach Cottle your coach?
2: Yeah, so I drafted by the the Lizards, played primarily midfield that first year. And then the league was doing one of those, you know, they rearranged the players. They were kind of moving them. At least that's the reason was given to me. They might have just traded me, but uh, they told me they were moving me back to the local market. And uh, and and ended up getting reunited with John Tucker. He was the head coach at that time okay. and played a season and a half under John Tucker before he was, uh, was kind of let go. And Brendan Kelly, the owner, ended up taking over as the head coach in my second year with the Bayhawks. And, uh, you know, basically just gave us this concept of let's go all in. And we had a bunch of local guys. And I remember he traded some really good players because he didn't feel like they were completely bought in to like making this work. And, uh, and we went on a little run and we were we're surprised champions that that first year he took over kind of midway through the season. And uh, you know, I, I didn't necessarily know what pro lacrosse was going to hold, hold for me, but I had, uh, I got that taste back in my mouth of like, man, winning is so fun. And I was like, yeah. I want to do this for as long as I can. So um had a great run. So after, after Brendan Kelly, uh, Dave Cottle was an assistant coach. He came in mid-year with Brendan and then took over the team. And, uh, And you know, we, we, we lost in the final seconds in 2011 to win our back-to-back championships. But then in 2012 and 2013, won those two championships and, you know, got to play with – I kind of went from a ball carrier to an off-ball guy and yeah. got to play with the two best feeders of all time. I got to play with John Grant Jr. and, and Casey Powell. So wow. both were on the team and uh, you know, I happily became an off ball guy and just uh I remember you know, the pass would be on your ear and uh, all you'd have to do is finish it with nobody on you. It was pretty Tell cool. me, uh
1: tell us some stories uh, of like the things that blew your mind about those two guys as far as the way they played.
2: Yeah, um I, I mean one one story about Casey was, you know, he we picked him up a few games into the season and he shows up to practice and uh you know, I had I had kind of started to be known as a little bit of a stick stringer on the team. So he goes, he goes, hey Rubes, uh, will you string me up a stick? And this was on a Friday night. We were playing on Saturday, and I was like, sure, I'll string you up a stick. You just you just want a backup? He's like, no, man, I don't have a stick for tomorrow. He goes, I need it. So I strung one up that night. I gave it to him in the morning walkthrough. He picked it up. He kind of tossed it up a couple times to himself, and uh, and I remember we were playing the Boston Cannons. And he went out, he had, I believe it was three goals and two assists, including the game winning goal with the stick. And, uh, and, you know, it was like he had never thrown with the stick before that, before that game. It was, it was pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, it just showed me just kind of what a, what a talent that guy was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I remember when John Grant Jr. was picked up, Cottle texted me and he goes, you know, we picked up, we picked up John Grant Jr. And I wrote back, I remember writing back, like, great, I love competition, thinking it was basically like junior or I on the left wing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I quickly came to realize just what a good teammate that guy was. And, uh, and you know, he is he was so good at making other guys better around him. And, you know, like I had mentioned, that guy does not get the credit he deserves, I think, for the passer that he is. I mean, he yeah. can certainly bring it and score in so many different ways. But uh, he he would deliver the ball and the defense wouldn't even see the ball coming. Yeah. So you would catch it and no one would even know the ball was on your stick. And, right. and um, it was, uh, it was, you know, it was awesome. It extended my career a few years playing with those, those two guys.
1: I bet that, that element of deceptive feeding, buying time for a receiver because nobody sees it coming is, is like the true art of feeding. It's kind of funny because everybody that grows up learning how to, Throw and catch, it's like, look at your target, point your butt in towards it, step and follow through, which, you know, everybody can see coming, you know, 10 minutes before you throw it, whereas Junior would pop it behind the back, backhand, and it looks off one hand, you know, levers and, and all this stuff that looks fancy, but actually, it's just incredibly practical when you're trying to, like, buy time for a receiver.
2: No question. He, 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 I remember. I remember the first time we were running fast breaks, we were running a lefty fast break, and he was the point he goes he goes ben when you see my butt just know the 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 backhand's coming and uh and it would be right on your ear i mean anyway heck of a talent great teammate and uh yeah. and so got to play with him i mean it was pretty cool and i'm actually surprised more uh more pro teams don't do this i got to play with danny gladding there for you know 5 years and yeah. i just think like it was a really cool experience because i think I think one we both kept getting better, but you 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 develop a chemistry mm-hmm. in uh playing four years in college together, and uh so that was that was really neat and um well, the
1: snakes cr- kind of had that advantage
2: no no okay, there you go exactly and uh and I think that there's something to that, and you know it's tough to it's tough to replicate um that college experience anywhere else, so uh i th- think you can I think you can get some advantages there.
1: So how did you start your coaching career and when when did that when did that start?
2: Yes, yeah, so I was um I had I worked in finance for a couple of years. Um, you know, we we won that championship with the Bayhawks, and I was like, man, this is cool. I gotta keep doing this. So uh, I ended up leaving my finance job, was like many guys, was doing the, the camp and clinic circuit. And uh, I was out at Chris Rotelli's camp out in Lake Tahoe. Yep. And you know, I was just out there and we were giving a two-man talk and I was talking about the offense and Trey Whitty was talking about the defense. And, uh, you know, I didn't think much of it. But I finish up the talk and, uh, and Trey walks up to me and he goes, he goes, man, that was awesome. Like, love that talk. Um, he goes, I just got the AD job down at St. Mary's High School in Annapolis. You ever thought about being a head coach? And I think I was 26 at the time. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, I've thought about it. I would love to be a head coach. So uh, he had me down for an interview and uh off, i got the offer for the position and and took the job and uh you know so my first job was as a was a, was as a head coach, which was you know it was a real trial by fire and but uh but but learned a ton down there and spent three years down there and had a great senior class in my third year and we were lucky enough to kind of go off and uh, and win the m i a championship that third year, and you know kind of all unreal.
1: Add another championship to the list, I guess. Um, well, I met you um, down at the uh, USA box tryouts. Do you remember that? We were watching a little box lacrosse. Yes, exactly. Like I stopped by a
2: little bit. Yep. I do remember that. That's right.
1: That's where yep. I like, remember first meeting you and talking to you. My song was trying out with another kid from the high school I was coaching, and it was up at the Baltimore Arena.
2: For Exactly. And I used to – I played a little – there was a little semi pro team there, the the, the Baltimore um, I think it was the Baltimore Bombers, but uh, but I, I played I played a couple winners there just trying to kind of hone my game. I mean talk about a talk about a way to to make your game better. I mean, I remember yeah. playing that and I think I had a couple guys trying out for that, that box yeah, team. So I okay. stopped by and and, and and saw you there for the first time. Yeah, that was cool.
1: Um, and so um, now um, you you make your way up to Boston. I know you coach with the Boston Cannons. Um, you end up getting this job uh, with, at Thayer, which is awesome. I mean, that's like a, a factory of athletes. You should be able to be, you know, feel pretty good about the potential uh, with Thayer. Talk to us a little bit about how that came about and how you moved up there.
2: Yeah, so uh, two years ago, my my wife's one of twelve kids, so uh, you know, I had I had a daughter, and we were hoping to grow our family, and uh, and and so we we were thinking about moving. My, my parents retired, moved down the beach. My sister moved out West. So we wanted to be around family. So we decided let's move up to, uh, to Boston and be around family. She's got nine siblings in the area. So it's, it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool thing. We have a built-in network, but, uh, but made that decision um, left Loyola high school where I was the head coach at my alma mater. It was kind of a really cool position. But uh, as I, as I came up was, was looking around at different schools, and two things kind of happened simultaneously. One was, got connected with the Massachusetts guys and Dave Evans and Dan Chenard and Sean Morris, and you know they they uh, they were like, "Hey, I think you should take this Deer Academy job. This thing has some real potential." So we're the only only private school kind of on the South Shore where yeah. a lot of good athletes are here, and uh, just a great tradition of hockey players. Jeremy Ronick went here. Tony Amani, I mean. Just some great hockey programs, so I knew they had the potential to be to be really good. Our girls' team just won the ISL championship, so you know the makings were there from the lacrosse side of things. So ended up, you know, ended up taking this job. But also, what happened was this was a little full circle. Was as I was moving up, I remember just kind of calling Dom Starsia just to check in, and I said, you know, Dom, how you doing? Um, so we were we were catching up, and he said, you know i i just took the I just took the head the associate head coaching job at the boston cannons he goes you know and uh we're looking around for an offensive guy we've been talking to some people and i said dom i was like i'm moving up there man can i get an interview so he was nice enough to kind of put some things in motion and uh and so line that job up kind of simultaneously with their academy job and you know it's um it's a, so that it's was a- the
1: 2018 MLL season pretty much the last season before the pll started
2: That was exactly the 20, the 2018 season. So spent two years with the cannons and, uh, you know, really, really cool experience. I mean, I, I know you've coached in the MLL and coached these pro guys. I I mean, it is a, it's a slightly different approach. And at first, you know, I, I think I, I gave a little bit too much freedom and then realized pretty quickly, like, whoa, these guys want to be held accountable and coached. And like, you know, they, they really want to continue to become better players and they understand what it takes. And, uh, so I had some growth to do in that first year, but feel like I found my, my groove in, in year yeah. two.
1: It's like, you got to figure out a way to do what Mark Van did in 06, which is, you know, have structure, but have that chemistry that builds because, you know, putting team ahead of self.
2: No, no question. No question. And, uh, you know, our, our rule, our rule at Virginia was always, um, you know, if it works, we won't say anything, you know? So basically like as soon as it doesn't, we're going to talk about, all right, this is the way you got to do it. And you got to do it, um, you know, consistently.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, um, now you're the head coach of the PLL Atlas. Um, you gotta be so fired up about that, aren't you?
2: I am fired up. You know, I, uh, I, I, it's an awesome opportunity and you know i i i played with played against coached against all these guys and i mean i think i think there's some some really good players on this team but i i also understand kind of it's a big job and it's a lot of responsibility and you know i think um i i feel pretty lucky to have what i think is a is a is a darn good staff um and you know one of my one of my favorite things in kind of going in this is i think we got a lot of guys who, who really they have a need to succeed. I mean, they just they are lacrosse guys first, and yeah. they are making this a priority in their life. And it's a lot of full time full time guys, and uh, you know it's going to be interesting here over the next over the next month. We got two drafts coming up. I know, for, uh, you know. We can really continue to push this team forward and and hopefully set ourselves up for for success. So who's on your staff? So it's uh, it's myself. It's Rick Beardsley so yeah. uh you know rick is is one that he reached out to me kind of as soon as I got the job i in fact, maybe even before it was announced, I have no idea how that happened but yeah. uh but you know, I've coached with enough guys to kind of understand that I need complementary not only like coaches that know different parts of the field better than I do, but also complementary personalities and i uh I absolutely love the guy i yeah. mean you know i do. i. I do. Think- I think, you know, I can be a little more even keeled and a little bit quieter. And uh, I don't think anyone's ever described Rick, Rick Beardsley as that. And I think that's a great thing. Yep, and yep. Uh, so I'm pumped to work with him. And then uh, Stephen Brooks is a guy that I played with on the Bayhawks, um, was always what I thought was as good a teammate as there was. For sure. And um, certainly a great. great teammate and great, and dude. great yeah. player. And he knows these guys because he was on the team last year. So kind of my thought was, um, you know, there are ups and downs to this thing. I need somebody that's going to be a positive force, and that's that's going to be Stephen Brooks, I think, for our our group.
1: Brooksie worked for me at 3D for a few years, and um, when I first met him and watched him coach and interact and hung out with him, I was just, you know, best dude ever immediately. Like, you just love the guy, right? I mean, everybody loves Brooksie.
2: Yep. And, uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. Rip the duck. And, and you know, he's I, I think he's just – He's really got his finger on the pulse of like how to keep things loose under yeah, pressure. Sure. And he's always done that. And our goalies are going to see some serious heat from Stephen Brooks when he's wor- warming them up. So, you know, hopefully they'll be ready to, ready to play till. For
1: sure. How, what was the process um, like in terms of even applying for that job?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it kind of, it kind of started, I mean, uh, I, I'm still working the, I'm still working camp. So I worked a camp with, uh, with Scotty Rogers and, and Kyle Hartzell, um, yeah. or Ryan McLaren, crab's top prospect campus past summer. And, you know, um, and, and I just, I was putting the bee in their bonnet of just like, Hey, you know, if, uh, you guys ever need a coach, you know, I would, I would love to come coach. And, uh, and then I was working project nine this, this fall. And, uh, and that was with Paul and Scotty Rogers were there. They had, um, they had the coach opening, and, um, you know, I, I didn't realize that, that Paul was going to necessarily publish this, but Paul goes, what's your goal in coaching pro lacrosse? And I was like, quite simple. I, I really want to do this, and I want to be the Bill Belichick of pro lacrosse. Now, I don't want that to be public. I didn't want to put that out there, but that's kind of been out there now. So, anyway, I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, I, I really want to do this thing well. I think pro lacrosse is um it can get a bad rap sometimes of you know people saying that guys aren't as committed or into it or you know it doesn't have the same feel as as a college lacrosse and I completely disagree it is when done right I think it's about it's the coolest lacrosse experience that I've ever had and I think the product on the field is one that's really exciting I think it's one that fans can get behind and um It's one that I think is worth to it, you know, the price of admission, and um, and so I want to do this thing great. I got to continue to get better. I'm certainly not there. I think I got to continue to grow as a coach and get and get better. And I think we got a lot lot of work to do with this team that missed the playoffs last year. But um, but I'm excited about it, and I think um, I think I think with you know with the with the right mix of players and the right coaches, I think this thing could could could, could be pretty good.
1: So much of it is going to be about chemistry and, and team first more so really than, I mean, doesn't always matter, but you only practice once a week. There's only so much you can do. Um, but it's the same chemistry that allowed you guys, you know, to, to win in, in 06, right? I mean, like, it's like, it's true with every team that wins a championship. There's a magic there and you seem to have been able to find that magic whether as a player or a coach, of different levels, um, and um, how how do you plan to try to create a culture like that?
2: Um, you know, I don't I don't think there's any secret sauce to it. I mean, I think it's like you got to spend time together, you got to communicate together, you got to build relationships together. I mean, you know, we we got a text chain going. I think it's pretty cool. That thing's blowing up each and every day, and uh, and it's you know, I think. I think back, you know, I think back to what I try and do is think back to some of the things that I've seen work. Right. And I know I know a big thing for the Bayhawks, I thought, was we brought in we brought in Brian Spelina and Nikki Polanco. Right. right. Who were guys that, you know, when I was playing against them, I hated them. And I remember when we when we brought them into the Bayhawks and I was thinking, how the heck is this going to work? Like, I can't stand these guys. <laughs> um, but they were the two best teammates of all time. They just had your back. And one of the things that I th- think, you know, went unseen was just the messages, the emails those guys would send out kind of during the week leading up to a game. Or, you know, they would put together a playlist each and every year, and they'd kind of get everybody's thoughts together. And it's, it's, it's those little things, I think, where it's like where, where the group is doing something and someone's willing to put a voice to it. And I think so much in the pros, it ends up being the players as much as anybody. Right. But um, you know, I think, I think you gotta find some guys that can do that for the group. And uh, you know, I think I think we got a few of those guys. And you know, I I see, I see, I see the guys doing the right things to try and build those bonds and that little bit of magic that uh, that I think you need, kind of leading into a season.
1: What a so where you you picked third in the um, supplemental draft, and what about the collegiate draft? Second
2: so we got yep so we got third in the uh in the supplemental I'm sorry yes third in what they're calling the entry draft and uh and second in the collegiate draft um so you know i think um as i having coached in the mll last year as i look at that list of guys it's a it's a really good list of players coming over to the pll this year i mean there's some there's some serious talent so you know i got my I got my big board, and I got, I got the guys that I kind of, um, you know, think could make an impact and, you know, feel like, feel like having watched those guys for the last two seasons live and in action, yeah. um, you know, hopefully have a pretty good sense of, of, of who those guys, guys are as player and people. Yeah.
1: And um, the, the collegiate draft is so deep this year. It's just insane. And the, the rosters, my understanding is the, the game day roster is uh, smaller so it's just going to be deeper and more competitive than ever before.
2: No question. I mean, you know, I, I the the hope is right. I think I think year one going in the PLL, as an outsider's perspective, there was just there was an excitement about it that that pro lacrosse hadn't seen for hadn't seen in a long time, and I think the guys just they came in I what looked like from an outsider extremely prepared I think year two there is going to be a slightly different motivation but I think a similar result which is like there's going to be so much competition going down to these training camps yeah that guys are just going to have to make sure that they show up you know ready to compete and I think that's a that's a great position to be in so you know I think um my plan is to is to go out and find the best people and players that we can bring them down to training camp let guys earn the the spots that they get. And, you know, like so many of these things just communicate as clearly as possible to these guys on what my thought process is and, and how we're going about making the decisions and what things we're looking for. And I think, I think this is going to be, um, this is going to be a really competitive training camp, but I think that's going to set us up to uh, to hopefully start out the year pretty well. Yeah.
1: Phenomenal. Let's switch gears back to high school. I would love to hear, you know, your philosophies on, on um, how you, develop, you know, what are your philosophies on offense, for example, you know, and what you learned at St. Mary's and Loyola and what you're bringing up at Thayer Academy now? and How is it different and how is it the same?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I know, I know grow, growing up, basically, um, basically up until the time I got into the pro game, I always ran out of motion offenses, whether that was playing for Ryan McLaren with Cockiesville or John Tucker or Dom Starger, or Mark Van Arsdale, or whoever it might be, I mean, we were, we were always a motion offense, and it was really like read the situation and react. And
1: How do you them. define motion?
2: Motion for us was always, I mean, basically through college, it was always running out of a one three two and playing in triangles and certainly tweaking it here and there and setting some picks and, you know, having some slightly different rotations at times, but most of it was triangles. So that's a little bit of the base that I came from. Then I played, then I went to, you know, playing under Dave Cottle, which was slightly different. I mean, we primarily ran out of a one-four-one. We were doing backside mumbos. Um, you know, everybody, we were covering two pipes. We were, you know, we were, we had some, a little bit more of scripted motion. Um, and I've liked both of them. So, you know, I, I think as, as I coach the high schoolers, you know I feel like I'm comfortable really running out of three different sets and feel like we got some you know some good things that we can do there. I run out of one, three, two, a two, two two, or one four one. I usually try and look at my personnel to kind of like get a sense for all right which which of these sets would best fit this group and then we tweak those we we tweak it to basically you know to fit the kids and you know i've 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 also I've played for guys where it was very much like all right if if like dodging from the middies isn't working we got a couple options we can either change formations we can go to more of an invert set or we can you know attack from behind the cage so we try and play around with that and then lastly if it gets stagnant i usually like to have a few scripted plays that we can go to just to kind of jump start things again and get guys confident in that type of thing so anyway that that was a long yeah i loved it it was great and I remember, I
1: mean, what, you know, I got memories of Dixon skipping it through to Pasque on his little crease step off in the triangles, or we're watching the ball kick down to you, and you swing it through to Matt Ward and him dodging, and it was just, it was beautiful across and it was more unscripted. But I also know the Dave Cottle model of, hey, if we can draw a slide, we're going to be able to put you guys in the exact spots that makes it impossible, the scripted spacing makes it impossible for the defense to cover, you know, everybody. Um, so it's It's really neat, and I think that's kind of the, the yin and yang of offense in so many ways.
2: Yeah, and I've, I've loved having those two, two perspectives. And, you know, I, 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 I got to say, I mean, Dom on multiple occasions has, has come and spent, you know, there was a Friday one time. He, he, was like, he was like, why don't I come up and see? We can just talk. We can talk lacrosse. And he, I remember he just called me up a few days prior. He said, get your coaches together. So he drove up on a Friday. I said, Dom, what can I do for you, man? What do you want? Gear? What do you want? He goes, get me a chicken parm sub and we'll spend six hours together with your entire staff. And it was, I mean, he drove up from Charlottesville three hours to Baltimore, spent six hours with her. I gave him, I gave him a sub and then sent him on his way and he drove three hours back. And I, I just like that type of experience coupled with when I was coaching at St. Mary's, Dave Cottle's son, Sean, was on the team. And, um, and he was a lefty attackman, too, and just, just an awesome teammate. I mean, one of the best teammates ever, Sean, was. But Dave would spend – he probably went out with me two, two mornings a, a month and basically, you know, sat down at a diner and took, took the salt and pepper shakers oh, and yeah. explained to me X's and O's just kind of in detail. And like you said, it, it is two different approaches, but I like the different approaches, and I like being able to, you know, work with the guys within that framework. You know, I would I would say stepping back a little bit, my philosophy with high schoolers is first and foremost, before we kind of get to any X's and O's, I I mean, I've been lucky enough to coach some pretty good high school players that have gone off to have great college careers. Mm-hmm. And I think really my job is like, can I get these guys to love the game? Like, and that's how I think about practice more than most things. It's like all right, can we take a guy that's, like, got the talent that I can see could be a real player and and can we, you know, can we get him excited about the game and to have, a, a you know, the fire in his belly so that when our season's done, he's working on his own to try and get himself better. And, you know, I think the biggest payoff for me has been, I looked at kind of the Tewarton watch list last year. And it was four of my high school guys on that tour watch list, you know, Jake Caraway, Tim Troutner, Alex Woodall and Cole Williams. And they're all playing different positions. And granted, I mean, you know, there were seasons where I came off and I was like, man, we could have done a little bit better. We could have achieved a little bit more. We should have won the championship that year. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it's, I'm starting to gain a little bit more perspective where now I can watch these guys go off and have success. And I'm like, Man, that is awesome! That at is, least cool. I didn't screw it up for them. Like they right. still love the game and play with passion. So for sure, yeah.
1: Um, the idea that you, as a high school coach, are are as much as anything else, preparing these young men for the future and and, and the future at you know their future, not only lacrosse wise, but but also on the field and preparing them to go off and have successful careers. Um, is really, really exciting, which leads me to my next question, which is how do you love of the game? Is, is, is like your starting point, but how do you develop players? What's your sort of philosophy on that and all the skills? I mean, when you take it back to the Dave Coddle model of hey, if we could draw a slide, we can have perfect scripted spacing. You know, so how are you teaching kids to be able to do that?
2: Yeah. So I, I usually do a few things. One, I take, you know, our rule is you can work with a guy. Once per month in the off season. So typically, what I try and do is here at Thayer. That's that's kind of the rule in the ISL. You can work with them once per month. You know, so I usually try and take a guy, and I take all my guys, and I'll either do, you know, I'll do a group of either one to three guys, and I take it small groups, and I really try to basically break down skills into their smallest parts, and we work on it. Right, and that might be that might be anything from shooting so we'll break it down in one session and it'll be all right we're going to start with step downs I really think it's a mark Van principle that he used to always talk to us about is like catch it ready to shoot get it off quick before the goalie's ready it's like if you're taking a step down it's coming off a pass if it's coming off a pass the goalie has to move if the goalie has to move you got to catch and get that shot on him before he's kind of set and picking picking the ball up coming out of your stick so you know we'll, we'll take shooting and we'll work the first 15 minutes on just like, how are we catching this ball ready to let it go? And it, you know, it also goes back to a principle that Dave Huntley used to, used to talk about. He's like, Canadians aren't better finishers. We just catch the ball better and we're ready to, you know, because we catch the ball better, we, you know, we're able to get the shot off better and we we finish more of those balls. And so we work a lot on kind of like, all right, what's our setup to our shot? So we'll work on just straight step downs. Then we'll work on all the different variations of that. It might be, all right, now we've worked on kind of catching the ball coming into the cage. Now we know in our offense, we have a lot of guy, times the crease guy is going to back off to the backside. So we got to work on how do we backpedal, catch a ball as that ball's in the air, and get our momentum going back towards the cage. So we'll do that variation. Um, you know, and, then, um, and so we try and break it down into little parts. Once we do step-down shooting, we'll, we'll move on to kind of on-the-run shooting. And, you know, I, I really like to just focus on kind of one thing at a piece. So I know when I'm doing, let's take on-the-run shooting. First thing I, I try and focus on is, like, let's just get our feet right. I feel like, as I think back to my career, I, w- I wasn't the fastest guy, but I knew that I could do I could do the skill at my top speed. So basically, I could run as hard as I possibly could and still get a shot off. And as I look at a lot of players playing field lacrosse, it's like they can run at like 90% and get a good shot off, but they can't really run at top speed. And I think it's a unique thing about lacrosse. you got two hands on a stick, which slows you down, but you got to be able to kind of still have skill as you're moving at top speed. So we'll work on, let's run as hard as we possibly can. Then we'll work on kind of our shoulders. And what I think we, I think this is a big, like, I think the game's a lot about, especially offensively, your shoulders. It's like, If you can get your shoulder past your defender when you're dodging, I think you have not beat because then your hands are free. Or when you're on the run, it's like I'm a big proponent in lean your shoulder towards the cage and your feet will follow. And once you get your feet following, you got your momentum behind you. And now you're generating some power behind that shot. So we'll talk about shoulders. And then we talk about kind of like hip rotation and kind of how we want to do that. And then once we work on those individual skills, I'll have the guys try and put all those skills together in one package and, and see what it looks like. And, um, you know, I've taken a little bit of a page out of your book where I used to just try and I would go through the rep and show them what I thought it should look like. And then I would have them do it. And I felt like there were disconnects between what I was trying to explain and show and what I was seeing. So I've tried to start now just using my phone, filming it, and and I'll film it, and then we, you know, it's a beautiful thing on these iPhones. You can go real slow motion just by scanning your thumb, yeah. and we break it down as slow as we need to go, and, you know, we can really kind of focus in on those individual pieces.
1: No doubt. Really interesting stuff. Um, as far as um, page out of my book, one of the things I've been thinking so much about is, is teaching decision-making and perception um, rather than just teaching skill. And it's not that all the stuff I I love everything you just said and agree with all of it, but I also feel like the best players kind of know how to play. They know when to go hard. Um, so much of uh, playing is perceiving what's happening around you and then you have to make a decision of what skill to use and you got to execute that decision with a skill. And sometimes it's confidence. And sometimes it's the perception, but not recognizing the opportunities, um, When people think about decision-making, so often they're like, you know, we got to be smart, you know, throw it to X here, you know, two minutes left in the game, decision-making. But really there's a decision being made every second of a game, whether you have the ball or you don't or you're on offense or defense. So um, my question to you is how do you, um, within the scope of your own team, start very similar to 06 where they let you figure it out. How do you balance that sort of yin and yang of teaching and letting the kids figure it out?
2: Right exactly it's like first you got to have like a level of skill I think there's like a baseline to be good but then I think it really becomes about like what decisions do you actually make which determine whether you're successful so I think it's a great question I think it's probably the toughest part of coaching um you know I will say my father's helping me out coach this year he's retired so he came up to help so he, he made this comment last night he basically said he said you know I feel, like, I feel like your offensive players are in a rush. And what he was basically saying was they begin their dodge and they feel like once they begin that dodge, they got to go to the cage. This is their time to go. Instead of, you know, constantly assessing the situation. And he was like, I think they could be more probers. It's like, take your dodge if it's not there. All right, now what are our options? And I know that I've worked, I've been trying to work a lot more on kind of the progression of our eyes, right? Like where do our eyes need to be in order to assess the situation? Yeah. And um, it was always described to me growing up, you know, as an offensive player, always look over your inside shoulder. It's like, we're very good at looking straight ahead. It's like, if that guy is covered, it's like, okay, well then the open guy is just over your inside shoulder somewhere. So if I'm dodging from X and I'm coming up to the right side, it's look over my left shoulder and, you know, you can, you can see a couple things. You can obviously see the slide and you can, you can make a determination on how you want to manipulate that slide. It also shows you either the crease or the skip through. And I think the great part about it is it's like if you can really keep your attention there, not be worried about losing the ball because you got your hands protected, you should always know in a good offense you got an outlet straight ahead of you and you got an outlet behind you. So it's really assessing kind of what's happening, you know, in between that that you got to assess if nothing's going on there. It it's back to my father's point of like, well, okay, so you didn't get anything and no looks open, move the ball twice, and then let's do it again. You know? So it's like it's like probe, move the ball twice, probe, and eventually something will open up. And uh and so anyway, I I, I think I think kind of talking to the guys about what what's our progression? Almost like a passer, a quarterback in football. It's what's our progression with our eyes. And if those looks aren't there, no problemo. I mean, if we don't get something on that dodge, live to fight another day. Just move the ball twice, do it quickly, and 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 see if there's something on the backside.
1: Yeah, seeing the field um, is is really what it's all about, right? I mean, you can't you can't actually make decisions if you don't even if you're not looking around. And did you play soccer growing up? I did. So soccer is like the classic sport where you, you have to know what you're going to do with the ball before you get it or you can't be good. And I think that's one of the beautiful things. And, in fact, they, they measure head turns in pro soccer in, in Europe. And they found that the average players in the Premier League in England turned their heads three to four times in the ten seconds before receiving the ball, but the elite players were turning their heads six to eight times. And this is just all about – some of it is – some of it's really teachable, and seeing what's happening and knowing what you're going to do before you get the ball, I was curious if that's something that you talk
2: about. Uh, I've never used kind of the soccer analogy, although I've 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 thought about it a little bit. I think um, with how defenses are set up, I mean most defenses, if you're going to have a one and a two slide, two slides got to kind of be at the crease, right? It's got to be into the crease supporting kind of the one slide. They at least have to be helping in. So I guess my philosophy is there's always someone open. Yeah, It's like, find them, right? And if you don't see them, then look. I mean, look somewhere else, you know, keep looking. So I love the idea of like measuring kind of the head turns, you know? It's, um, I, I think, first and foremost, why I kind of focus on the skills first. And we talk a decent amount about hand protection and just mm-hmm. where do we need to put our hands so that we're not, there's not a stick in them. Yeah. Because I think once you have those hands protected, you've now freed your feed your eyes and your head up to scan the field yeah, sure, and, sure. uh, you know, understand defense is that someone always open on the backside. How do we get it to them? And I think, you know, hopefully through the progression of drills, we can, we can start to start to feel comfortable about finding those guys and where we got to look to find those guys.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting. I remember coaching, I don't know, I think it was like 2016 or something. I was still coaching high school lacrosse and, and I was, I was like, why is my defense, I feel like my defense is more, in tune what's going on. And and we were kind of running this Jerry Byrne defense model. I was really studying and trying to implement what he does. And and the guys were really good about being sideways and turning their heads and seeing the man in the ball. And what I kind of realized was that the offense really wasn't. And that's what really made me think about that. The offense stares at the ball. The defense is doing this great job of actually seeing their man in the ball and picking up cutters. And like we're focusing on looking away from the ball. And then I realized well, why wouldn't we do the exact same thing half the time on man up? If a kid catches it and all of a sudden there's a defenseman all over him, it's because he didn't look away to see, you know, where that rotation was coming. And if he would have just, you know, stepped four feet wider, he could have made that next pass and we would have taken advantage of that overplay. Um, so anyways, that's, that was just, just a story to share with you on kind of how I got thinking about it.
2: I, I think that's, I think that's really interesting. I, I think it's a great idea. I mean, I think it, the more you play and the more you, you know, I think you probably do need to turn your head. I know it got to a point when I was playing, which, you know, makes coaching, a. It, it, it's the challenge of coaching. It's like you develop your skills to a point where you feel like, all right, I know where the looks are. Now, how do I translate that back to the kids to make it easy? So I think the turning of the head, and then I think eventually you just get a feel for it. Right. It's like we start feeling that defenseman rotating into you. It's like, all right, well, if he's coming from my right side, the open guys to the right side, just, you know, I know I'm catching and banging it there. And, uh, and yeah, so it's, it's good stuff. It's Interesting, good stuff. man. I well, wanted to score um, easy goals.
1: <laughs> ben, I, I absolutely love this conversation and I appreciate you coming on. Want to wish you the best of luck with Thayer. Wish humanity the best of luck as we get through this conversation. Uh, Uh, coronavirus, uh, and uh, wish you the best of luck this summer
2: with the PLL Atlas. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too. All right. See you. See you, man.